Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.25 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 29th day of August, 2023. That's the day before my kids' school starts. They are none too happy about it. None too happy about having to go to school after a long, hot summer in eastern Washington tomorrow. You know, and honestly, you know what I should have done? I should have started getting them up early. I've been letting them sleep in. Man, that's going to be a shocker tomorrow morning for him. (laughs) All right. Uh, This is episode 783 of Bitcoin and Bitcoin rallies. More than 5% as the court sides with grayscale over the SEC in the crypto ETF case. This is going to be brought to you by CNBC. If you were wondering what the hell was up with Bitcoin this morning and its little rally there, um, I okay, first, I think it's one half. I think it's the first half of a Bart, right? If you don't know what a Bart is, just look at Bart Simpson's head and it goes up on the left side and then it kind of wobbles around on the top and then it just crashes back down on the right side. I don't know if we'll end up with a full Bart formation out of this. But this is the first half of a BART formation, so be on guard. All right, let's get into this with Tanya McKeel. The price of Bitcoin surged Tuesday after the United States Courts of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit ruled that the Securities and Exchange Commission was wrong to deny crypto investment giant Grayscale permission to convert its popular Bitcoin trust into an ETF. Bitcoin jumped about 5.9% following the ruling to $27,523.61, according to CoinMetrics. The move lifted cryptocurrencies broadly, as well as crypto equities higher. Grayscale's lawsuit against the SEC has been closely watched by investors and other industry giants. Yay! Uh, Where the hell was I? I I just literally looked away, and all of a sudden, I'm out. Oh, okay. Other industry giants as a key catalyst that would shake up a market marred by low volatility and liquidity. Earlier this month, Bitcoin trading volatility fell to its lowest level in more than four years as investors had been waiting on the sidelines for more regulatory clarity on crypto activity, whether through new legislation out of Congress or through the ability to launch a spot Bitcoin ETF. Several Bitcoin futures ETFs have already been approved. Yes, we know. Quote, The denial of Grayscale's proposal was arbitrary and capricious. Ooh, shit. Because the commission failed to explain its different treatment of similar products, the court said in the ruling. Quote, we therefore grant Grayscale's petition 
and vacate the order. Holy shit, dude. Grayscale initiated its lawsuit against the SEC in June 2022 after the agency rejected its application to turn its Bitcoin trust, better known by its ticker GBTC, into an ETF. The company decided to pursue the ETF, which would be backed by Bitcoin rather than Bitcoin derivatives, after the SEC approved ProShares futures-based Bitcoin ETF back in October of 2021. The ruling faced multiple delays, but the SEC ultimately rejected the application last summer, citing failure by Grayscale to answer questions related to concerns about market manipulation and investor protection. The Grayscale Bitcoin Trust itself jumped 17%. So there you go. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has vacated the order of the SEC. I guess that means that, that I, I'm pretty sure that that doesn't mean that we automatically get a spot ETF. So before you guys go, yay, by the way, even if they, we do get a spot BT, ETF, you know what you should do? Buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin. Don't give your money to the ETFs. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. You have every ability in the world right now to hold Bitcoin yourself. You can buy it right now. We'll get into a little bit of the dangers of what's going going on with some of the on and off ramps. But for right now, you have every ability to buy Bitcoin and you have every ability to hold Bitcoin yourself without any third party whatsoever. And that's exactly what you should do. Yes, that's investment advice. If you lose your keys, that's on you. So don't lose them. You don't lose your, you know, like there's several things that you have in your life that you don't lose. Make your passphrase and seed words part of that. And don't lose them and you'll be fine. Okay? So I still think until there like is a second ramp up for Bitcoin, I predict that we have a BART. All right? So it's probably going to crash back down to just right around and hover around $26,023. All right? I'm being pessimistic. Yes, I know. Nobody wants to hear me be pessimistic, but I'm a realist. I've seen extraordinarily good news basically be thrown in the trash along with everything else and the price of Bitcoin just falls right back down to where it was and we'll have to deal with it some more. I hate BARTs. I hate BARTs. I hate them, but we have to live with them. Now, the Circle P is open for business. Strange things are afoot at the Circle P, including Reverend or Rev.Hoddle's Applied Permaculture Class. Rev, is that short for Reverend Hoddle? Because honestly, Reverend Hoddle is an awesome name. And if that's what you're going, if that's what Rev actually stands for, I'd love to actually say that. So throw me a DM, let me know what the hell's going on with Rev.Hoddle. Because Rev.Hoddle doesn't roll off the tongue like the Reverend Hoddle. It's like the Reverend Horton Heat. You know, if anybody's ever listened to Reverend Horton Heat. Anyway, anyway, anyway. He's, I'm going to be basically touting Rev Hoddle's Applied Permaculture Class and Fireside Bitcoin Meetup for the entire week and then some next week. Because if you guys need a chance to go see permaculture in action and not flip, 
you know, throw a whole bunch of money down on the table to get what's known as the permaculture design certificate. That would be known as a PDC. If you just want to go see an example, this is where you go see an example of permaculture. It's not designed to give you a certificate. It's not designed to get you a job. It's a design to answer questions about what the hell is permaculture? How does it work? Why do we do it? You'll learn how to apply permaculture to your lifestyle to build sovereignty, resilience, and wealth in this three-hour class. He will detail how he applies the permaculture ethics and principle to homesteading, share how he builds resilience in his wealth with the eight forms of capital, and illuminate the connections between Bitcoin and permaculture. After the learning about applied permaculture, you'll eat lunch prepared with fresh food grown on the homestead. After lunch, he'll give you a full homestead tour showcasing living examples to see ethics and principles of permaculture in action. You will leave with an understanding, a full understanding of permaculture and the inspiration to apply it to your life in any situation. So when is this shindig? It's Sunday, September the 17th, 2023 at 10 a.m. The approximate location is Baroda, Michigan. B-A-R-O-D-A, Michigan. Tickets will cost you 250,000 Satoshis. There are only 21 tickets available. I have, well, there's only 21 tickets in total. I have no idea how many are available at this point. To purchase the tickets, you need to direct message Rev Hoddle on Noster. His inpub will be in the show notes. Yes, I understand that Fountain and a couple of other things jumble the show notes. And it's really hard to get. Just type in like rev dot or at rev dot in Noster and get to it. If you can't get to it and you're following me on Noster, DM me or just throw me a note in open in the open public commons, whatever. I will throw you his NPUB. I promise you I will do that. Anyway, uh, he's also going to be hosting a fireside meetup at the homestead. Uh, Saturday, September 16th. That one is open to all, but bring your own bee. Uh, The house is still available, but the yurt that he has is booked. The house has four beds. It can sleep six guest max. You can do free camping. He has limited space for RVs. Lodging is available Saturday and Sunday night. The schedule is basically you'll check in September the 16th. Uh, for the Fireside Bitcoin Meetup and a 3 p.m. check-in for those who are staying overnight. You're not getting dinner out of that, so you'll have to fend for yourself. At 7 p.m., the Fireside Bitcoin Meetup, BYOB, again, will occur. The next day on the 17th, Rev.Hoddle's Applied Permaculture class begins at 10 a.m. with a permaculture lecture. At 12 p.m., you'll have lunch. At 1 p.m., you'll get the Permaculture in Action Tour. And at 3 p.m., you'll wrap it all up and do a little bit of networking. And I have no idea how long the networking is going to last. And I can't speak for Rev Hoddle. I just hope that it's like, you know, you guys get a good chance to meet each other, collect each other's information, and really leverage that networking. Because the one thing that I learned at BitBlock Boom, which is the only Bitcoin conference that I've ever been to, is that it's more important to meet the people than to actually go to the talks, right? Uh, there's a lot of people that are that are old school Bitcoiners. They don't even go to the talks. 
They're invited to give the talks, but they don't actually go to any of them. They're hanging out in the hallways, in the elevators, on the stairs. They're networking. That's one of the most important parts. The other most important part about this one, however, is the actual tour where he's pointing out what's going on on his land and the three-hour talk of what he's actually doing. But the tour, pay very close attention because you're going to be surrounded by permaculture in action. So there you go. Go get those tickets. Make damn sure that you mention, if you're going to buy those tickets, that you mention that you heard it here. He's in the Circle P on the Bitcoin and podcast, and he will cut me a percentage of those ticket sales, and that helps support everything that I do here. All right, now check this shit out. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. I got to make sure I put this in the right place, and then we'll go to Binance. Remember I mentioned the on and off ramps uh, on the, uh, being a little bit under fire? Yeah, I brought it to you yesterday. And I'm bringing you more today. Binance excludes Banco de Venezuela from P2P Payments, David Atlee, Cointelegraph. The world's largest crypto exchange, Binance, has removed Banco de Venezuela as a payment method on its peer-to-peer trading service. This follows similar moves with Russian sanctioned banks last week and is likely part of efforts to fall in line with international financial sanctions. According to Venezuelan users, Banco de Venezuela Venezuela has vanished from the P2P payments options this week following a series of such removals of Russian banks by Binance. The obvious reasons behind this step is the August 24th Wall Street Journal report about the exchange's participation in circumventing international financial sanctions. Banco de Venezuela is one of the largest financial institutions in the country. According to the available stats from the end of the 2000s, it held third spot with over 11% share of the local market. In 2009, it was sold to the state by a private holding company, Grupo Santander, for about $1 billion. The sanctions in response to the repression of the 2014 and 2017 protests were imposed on Venezuelan government officials and affiliated institutions by the United States Treasury Department in 2018 and 2019. I'm halting here and or I'm pausing here to ask a question. Institutions that are being sanctioned by the United States Treasury Department does not make sense. Should that not be the, the Department of State of the United States? Should it not be the Secretary of State making these decisions at the behest of maybe the United States Treasury? But since when? Well, actually, I know this always been that way. How come we've never asked the question, why does the Treasury Department get to make these moves? on international banks and other financial institutions. Why is it the Treasury Department and not the Department of State doing international stuff? Is that not what the Department of State was designed for? Is that not why it's there? Why are we allowing the United States government to use the Department of Treasury in international sanctioning of other institutions? That's my question. I have no good answer for you other than pure frickin' hubris. Continuing on, as local media reports, private Venezuelan banks such as 
Benesco, Ban Plus, BBVA, Provincial, and others remain on the list of Binance's P2P platforms, so I guess they're okay. The recent surge in awareness regarding the inclusion of sanctioned banks on crypto P2P payment options came to light last week when the Wall Street Journal revealed that Tinkoff Bank and Spurbank of Russia were featured as transfer methods on Binance the very same day. Tinkoff and Spurbank were no longer visible on the Binance P2P platform, although the options colored yellow and green representative of the respective brand colors remained. Yes, we know. We did that yesterday. So we won't get into to the rest of this. It's only a couple more sentences. Um, this is an attack on off-ramps using the Department of Treasury to basically point the... Uh, at this point, what I expect is that the Department of Treasury will just look at Binance's you know, P2P institution list and say, we've got to figure out a way to sanction all of these. And then when Binance pulls them off, all the rest of the exchanges will pull them off too. This is an attack on on and off ramps. Nobody, nobody, nobody said this was going to be easy when we entered the they fight you stage. And it gets a little worse because Binance is now mulling a full exit from Russia amid said mounting regulatory pressure, according to a report. Navish Rustgi from Decrypt is writing, Crypto exchange Binance is considering a full withdrawal from the Russian market, according to media reports. A Binance spokesperson told the Wall Street Journal that, quote, all options are on the table, including a full exit. Earlier this week, the WSJ reported Binance blocked users in Russia from exchanging cryptocurrencies other than rubles on its peer-to-peer trading service. Binance declined Decrypt's request to comment. The move follows a Wall Street Journal report from last week that Binance was enabling substantial ruble trading volumes involving sanctioned Russian banks and a Bloomberg report in May that the U.S. Department of Justice was investigating the exchange for possible sanctions violations. See, that actually makes more sense. Earlier this month, U.S. Senator Elizabeth Focahontas Warren urged the DOJ to inspect sanctions evasions by Russia using the crypto platform Binance in a tweet. She added, quote, we need stronger crypto regulations to rein in the illicit finance. whoop de doo end quote. The United States, the European Union, and many other countries have imposed sweeping economic sanctions on Russia following its invasion of Ukraine. These sanctions have targeted Russia's central bank, major banks, and wealthy individuals, limiting the country's access to foreign currency reserves and its ability to convert Russian rubles to other global currencies. Binance, along with and other crypto exchanges operating within Russia, including Bybit and OKX, recently delisted the Tinkoff and Spurbank from their platform to adhere to U.S. sanctions. Life on your knees has got to be painful. In April of 2022, Binance began taking restrictive measures against Russian users and entities limiting accounts with more than 10,000 euro in crypto to withdrawal only mode following a package of EU sanctions directed at Russia. Binance is also currently in the middle of a regulatory storm in the United States. But yes, we know about all of that stuff, right? So kind of skip over a little bit. Outside Europe, the exchange requested the cancellation of its derivatives business license in Australia a day before the country's securities regulator announced that it would end the license and has ceased operations in Canada. The exchange also faces investigations by French authorities, which have accused Binance of acts of aggravated money laundering. (laughs) 
aggro. It went aggro on you. <laughs> Binance has also withdrawn operating license applications in Austria, the Netherlands, and Cyprus. In June, the exchange also lost its partnership with European banking partner Paysafe. It's a full-blown attack on ramps, on 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 ramps, and on off ramps. It's a full-blown attack, and it's going to get worse. And it, when you think about it, if the only viable on and off ramps are through United States regulated spot Bitcoin ETFs with their good buddies BlackRock, well, what? Uh, how convenient of a timing that this all is that they might be closing down CZ and. OKX and Bybit and everybody else. Think about that. Get your Bitcoin now before it's too late because this is not going to end. At at one point or another, it will be that you can hold Bitcoin and BlackRock, but you're never going to be able to self-custody it. If you want to be part of the future, you need to hold your own Bitcoin because at that point, you call the shots on who gets to use that Bitcoin. And maybe one of these days you get a a, a phone call and they say, look, tell you what, we want to rent your Bitcoin. Yeah, I know, rent seeking, but you get my drift. It's not just that you hold Bitcoin, ladies and gentlemen, you hold the keys to transactions. It's, I have a logo for, you know, my little, my little Kenny, you know, uh, guy with the Bitcoin head or the Charlie Brown head inside of the, the, the cowl and around it in, in a couple of them, one says, uh, seize the means of transactions. And that's exactly what I mean by holding Bitcoin yourself. You hold not only the Bitcoin in the form of the UTXO, but you hold the ability for other people to leverage the Bitcoin network by making transactions with that Bitcoin. That Bitcoin is the key to the entrance of the Bitcoin network. That's the gateway. You're now the gatekeeper. And if you don't get your Bitcoin now, and you don't have maybe like, I know it's like, David, I don't have $27,000. You don't need it. Buy 25 bucks worth. Buy 50. Buy 100. I don't know. Whatever it is that you can afford, that's not going to put you in like, you know, hell of a pinch. You need to convert that to Bitcoin as soon as humanly possible because this shit isn't going to go away. The attacks are going to continue. Now, let's go and stay a little bit further into uh, Latin America and we'll talk about El Salvador. The Bitcoin circular economy battles entrenched mindsets in El Salvador. This is out of Coindesk. It's written by Jonathan Martin. The core ethos of Bitcoin is to create a fairer and more accessible monetary system for the billions of people worldwide who do not have access to traditional banking services. (coughs) Here in El Salvador, most unbanked people are hand-to-mouth and utilize only cash, They spend what they earn on food or shelter soon after they receive it. Long-term savings, or the long-term savings benefit of Bitcoin, really don't move the needle for them at all. And the additional complexity in using the Bitcoin network and self-custody create a tremendous 
educational barrier to mass adoption. Several Salvadoran nationals are working to solve the problem. Guillermo Contreras, CEO of Ditto Banks, is creating Bitcoin-based savings and loan products for the 70% of Salvadorans he says are unbanked. I met with Contreras at an upscale restaurant in San Benito, yeah, Benito, the the San Salvador equivalent of Beverly Hills. He described how, with the launch of Chivo, the government's cryptocurrency wallet, every citizen was given $30 in Bitcoin. Transaction volumes initially surged, but soon petered out as most people simply converted their Bitcoin into fiat. He said that most of the unbanked population don't use ATMs, nor do they have access to loan products. The average education level is between 6th and ninth grade, and the average daily income is 15 bucks. Contreras devised a way to slowly educate non-Bitcoiners on how to save using the new digital currency by first giving them access to MasterCard debit cards. Users can receive Lightning or on-chain Bitcoin transactions and seamlessly convert them to USDC, the U.S.-based company Circle's pegged dollar-pegged stablecoin, to assuage concerns about Bitcoin's price volatility. They can also receive USDC directly using, and I'm not even going to say the name, but shitcoin number one. As Contreras put it, if you only have $15 in your account and needed to eat dinner, a 10% price swing is a major issue. Ditto Banks provides an easy-to-use solution. Similarly, through their deal with MasterCard, users can deposit money into ATMs and receive USDC in their wallets with a 1% fee. His next goal is to roll out a micro-loan program for users to increase access to credit and to spur economic development. The goal is to slowly educate people on the benefits of saving in Satoshi's while they are receiving the immediate benefits of access to loans and ATMs and the ability to pay bills in the Ditto Bank's app, all while getting direct exposure to Bitcoin. Their smartphones can now serve as their bank accounts, and Bitcoin usage will grow over time, he hopes. Contreras estimates it will be three years until Lightning is used regularly. By also encouraging unbanked merchants to use Ditto Bank's, where they receive the same loans and saving benefits as individual users, Contreras' goal is to create a circular Bitcoin ecosystem. At present, the company has partnerships with over 400 businesses in El Salvador. The global banking system is not currently Bitcoin-friendly. Well, duh. For Bitcoin to succeed in El Salvador, Salvadoran banks need to be able to integrate the network into their existing services that they provide to their clients. And at present, they do not sell Bitcoin over the counter because of their integrations with corresponding banks like the United States JP Morgan and the broader SWIFT system. Yes, it's an attack on on-ramps on and off-ramps. I spoke about this with Carlos Alfaro at Coibanks, a company that builds non-Bitcoin blockchain integrations for the banking system. He said that there is interest in Bitcoin among banks, among bankers, but they fear the repercussions with their international partners if they unilaterally adopt the digital currency. Remittances make up 25% of the domestic economy, and most of that money moves via traditional rails from Western Union in the U.S. to domestic bank accounts in El Salvador. No local banks are currently willing to put 25% of their business at risk, especially since Salvadoran banks are small and do not have a lot of leverage on Wall Street in many ways. When Wall Street sneezes, the rest of the global banking system catches a cold. Powerful forces outside of El Salvador play a role 
in inhibiting the adoption of Bitcoin domestically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely they do. Uh, Where was I? Oh, I traveled south to El Zante Beach, also known as Bitcoin Beach, to see firsthand the epicenter of Salvadoran Bitcoin adoption. In 2019, an anonymous benefactor offered to donate his Bitcoin fortune to the Sleepy Beach community, stipulating the money must be used for commerce and not cashed out into dollars. From this arrangement, the Bitcoin Beach Initiative was born. A San Diego, California native named Michael Peterson got involved and focused his attention on creating a circular Bitcoin economy, which includes remittances, tourism, public services, and small businesses. Perhaps the most promising of these efforts is Hope House, a community center that helps educate local youth on Bitcoin and provides opportunities that did not previously exist. Most of the El Zante population of about 3,000 people is unbanked, and lives just above the poverty line. When I arrived in El Zante, the weather was much hotter than in San Salvador, which is located about an hour inland. I approached a tin-roof structure that appeared to be both a restaurant and a family home to buy water, dodging several chickens and friendly dogs along the way. The owner of the establishment said that he did accept Bitcoin. He pulled out his smartphone, opened his lightning-enabled bank wallet, and I sent him the equivalent of $2 in Satoshis nearly instantaneously. Similarly, the restaurant I got lunch at utilized a Blink wallet for payment. At present, El Zante is not as developed as El Tunco, the popular nearby surf destination. There are several new-looking tourist resorts, but there are no paved roads, and street vendors are more common than brick-and-mortar shops. I tried to use Bitcoin two more times, and both times the the vendor said solamente efectivo, which means cash only, I suppose. Even in the heart of Bitcoin Beach, not everyone wants Bitcoin. For Bitcoin to thrive, it must be viewed as the new unit of account instead of constantly compared to its current Bitcoin fiat market value. The catalyst for this shift will likely be out of necessity the inevitable hyperinflation of the U.S. dollar as opposed to by political degree. Only time will tell if the monetary technology succeeds outside of small pockets of dedicated Bitcoiners. All right, so we still have lots of inroads to make, even in places like El Zante, at least according to this particular, you know, this particular article. But I don't have any reason not to believe them because, you know, people, especially people under duress, are the least likely to embrace something new. They're just trying to get their handle around what the hell's going on in their life right now. And because of that, telling them that they got to use something new or that they should use something new or that this something new thing is going to make their lives better, they're just basically going to call bullshit. So we have lots of battles to fight. Thankfully, we live along long life. Uh, Let's see. Oh, why the creator economy needs to run on Bitcoin. This one is very close to my heart. Joel Kai Lenz for Bitcoin Magazine. In my previous life as a professional in the legacy digital media world, I used to sit below a giant neon light. I didn't particularly like the look of the light, but I loved its message. It was a quote by Steve Jobs. You may have heard or even seen the quote online. It's the last few words of a famous Apple commercial where Jobs spoke to society's outsiders, quote, 
The people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do, end quote. In my earlier internet days, when I spent hours changing the cascading style sheets of my MySpace page, I was always fascinated by creators. For some weird reason, I resonated with them. Not because I'm particularly creative, but because I like their approach. You'll get rewarded if you're courageous enough to take on risks. Or, in Bitcoin terms, if you put in the proof of work, you'll get rewarded. However, my work wasn't rewarding anymore, although... I was the misfit in my group, the only one who didn't graduate in media studies or journalism. I still found a way to blend in, but that was the issue. I blended in and didn't challenge the people reading my stories. I was just another one of these tech bro writers who didn't question a thing. Luckily, I was a contractor, and as long as I pitched stories with unique angles, my editor let me pursue other avenues outside of the typical tech bro coverage. He encouraged it, as long as I put in the same effort as I did before. That day, I looked at the neon sign and I told myself, you know what? I'm going to take a closer look at changing the world by telling more personal stories and joining the creator economy myself. Well, that was in 2018. TikTok was just starting. Facebook wasn't involved in as many scandals yet. And YouTube was, in my opinion, at its peak. I felt that on these many emerging platforms, there must be the chance to support myself as a creator and tell the stories that I wanted to tell. Also, because of the creator economy was digital, I was sure to run into someone else who was into Bitcoin. After all, it is magic internet money, and these people have to get paid or want to use this new form of money to their advantage. At least, that's what I told myself. Not only was I wrong, But I was also disappointed to find out that there were no creators out there who had an issue with how the creator economy was being run. Once you get a peek behind the curtain, you realize that most of these prominent creators were captured by talent agencies. The deeper I dug, the quicker I realized that there are two currencies in the world. The first currency is the connections and the people that you know. The second one was the U.S. dollar. Although I mainly spoke to European creators, all of them told me that they have to obey their audience and the majority of that audience was in the United States. Therefore, the only real currency most of them valued was the U.S. dollar. If they did a good job, their agents would introduce them to better opportunities. And in the end, they would get paid more. All at the whim of big tech and payment providers such as PayPal or Stripe. The number of creators who did not want to work with a talent agency or get paid in other currencies was almost non-existent. Also, remember, this was right after the peak of the 2017 ICO bubble. All of the crypto creators I spoke with got paid in shitcoins that went bust and at that point were not open to accepting anything else but fiat money. The goal of my pivot to tell more personal stories through the creator economy was to find people who would embark on their quirkiness, question the status quo, and maybe even use Bitcoin as an alternative to the fiat system. After 18 months of hard work attempting to join the creator economy and become empowered to deliver quality content directly to audiences... Not much had changed. It seemed as if all of the creators were still forced to act in the interest of big agencies or promote shitcoins to get ahead in their careers. Like the monetary system at large, the creator economy is also broken and desperately needs a fix. The main problem that these creators have, as relayed to me, hold on, 
relayed to me in my research is the reliance on centralized entities, whether they be the agencies representing them or the gatekeepers online that define what's morally good or evil. Just like so many other things online, the creator economy is rigged. Not because the participants decided to rig it, but because they're part of a controlled environment that likes to possess everything. The best example of this is the subscription model with big media companies. I get forwarded a ton of Financial Times articles daily. Unless I use a tool to get around the paywall, I must subscribe to the newspaper to read just one article. Media outlets require recurring subscriptions for even a single piece of content because they need a steady income stream to facilitate content production. But they also seem to rely on people forgetting what services that they signed up for. Many people will not cancel a subscription, even if they only read one article. You never know when you'll need it again, so why bother canceling? That thinking has allowed central payment providers to obtain a monopoly on the internet and lock users in for eternities. The same applies to content creators because they have to play by these rules or offer their content for free, hoping that advertisers recognize them and pay them. Spoiler alert, they never do and they just abuse creators as much as companies abuse customers through their subscriptions. Now, this is where Bitcoin and the Lightning Network come into play. They allow creators to monetize every single piece of content online, whether that be a blog post, a video, or even a poll. Lightning enables us to interact differently with content. Users won't have to subscribe to read one article. They can simply pay for that single article on a case-by-case basis. And this is all without needing to enter credit card details. Just take your phone out or use a web-based wallet, send some sats, and, you know, off you go. These incent- this incentivizes readers to curate content and their time spent online differently. Instead of blindly subscribing in the hopes of choosing the right service, they can engage with creators and have their voices heard more directly. You already see this online with places like Noster or through Podcasting 2.0, where people are getting paid directly without a middleman, and followers can voice their support or concern with their sats. Compared to the current model, where users are the product 99% of the time, this new model, which will take some time to flourish, puts the users first, which is crucial. This model enables everyone online to take part in a better creator economy. It could potentially also lift the barriers you see online these days. To get monetized on a platform like YouTube, you need a minimum number of subscribers and view count all in favor of YouTube because it can gather data on their audiences used to show their ads later. Creators of the Lightning or V4V, otherwise known as the value-for-value economies, won't need YouTube because they only need to offer the content in places where zapping or Lightning infrastructure exists. They could also create content with certain paywalls in mind. A good example would be a book where the author requests payments per chapter instead of for the whole book at once. These approaches would increase the content quality. After all, you would need to create better content and keep followers entertained to have them continue to send you sats. But it would also increase the financial relationship that creators have with the web as a whole. They'll be in charge of where and when their funds are released. There will be no more need to wait for bi-weekly payments with high fees. 
They can just create invoices and send it to their wallets of choice. It's a crazy idea to go against the current tide. However, as Job stated in that Apple commercial, it's the crazy ones who change the world. Bitcoiners are crazy enough to challenge not only central banks and fiat money, but also content monetization online. Therefore, if you speak to a creator friend of yours and they complain about not getting paid, show them how lightning works. Explain what value for value is all about and how that they can start today. Yeah, that's exactly right. They can start today. <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I, I got a little distracted by something. And that brings us to Stacker News. Uh, if you don't, if you haven't looked at Stacker News, it's been around for quite a while. You need to go look at Stacker News. It's stacker.news. Stacker, like stacking sats, stacker.news. They've made an announcement. They've released Lightning Prisms, Clearer Withdrawal Options, Toasts, and more. All right, so Lightning Prisms. What's a lightning prism? I put out a piece of content, uh, like let's say, like I always post a link to my show on Stacker News after it's been, you know, after I've got it dropped and it's already published and all that kind of stuff. I always put one on Stacker News. If I like mention a couple of people in in the podcast, like uh, like Rev.Hoddle, right? He was part of the Circle P today with his applied permaculture class. If I have his address, I can put that in to Stacker News in a little box and cut him a percentage of all the Satoshis that that particular post gets. That's a prism. And that was originally described by Dergigi. And that would be Dergigi both on Twitter as well as on Noster. On Noster, I think he pretty much goes by Gigi, G-I-G-I. But this was a, a thing that he wrote ah, quite a while ago, in fact, about the ability to intake a set of Satoshis as a boost or a zap or some in some other way. And you, as the recipient of those Satoshis, can split them out to other people or not split any out at all. Well, Stacker News has now introduced this and you can now forward zaps to up to five stackers. So you have to use their Stacker News address and put them in the little boxes when you, you and go to advance, like when you put something in Stacker News, like you go and say, I want to make a post. Well, it, give, it gives you the page where you can put all your stuff in and there's a little tab that says advanced. That will give you a drop down menu and that will be, it will be self-explanatory as to how to split your zaps to other people in Stacker News. They're also doing toasts and it says, we show success slash error toasts when you're doing things like bookmarking and subscribing to threads. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but there's now a tabbed interface for picking how you want to withdraw your sats. So it's a little bit clearer about how you can get your sats out of Stacker News, although it's never really been hard for me. Uh, you can hide your bookmarks. You can remove op batches for Anon. You can fix YouTube. Invest, or they fixed YouTube embedded overflow on mobile and they fixed a bunch of other things. So if you haven't really messed around with Stacker News, please go do that. Uh, the guys over there at Stacker News uh, are working really hard for you. Um, let's see, where are we at? Oh, and speed, uh, now we, we just came out of the creator economy. That creator economy is is very well represented in what's going on over at Stacker News. 
but it's also very well represented by the people from Wave Lake. And I put out a song, like I, 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 a couple of episodes ago, I threw out a song by Ride in Progress. Well, the guitarist from Ride in Progress thanked me for putting their song from Ride in Progress on the podcast and boosted me Satoshis to do it. And this is how this shit works because now you get another one from Ride in Progress. This one is Ride. CNBC futures and commodities. I got West Texas Intermediate is up 0.39 percent 
So it is trading for $80.41 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise up a third, $84.70 a barrel. Natural gas down just over a point. Gasoline itself is down a little over a quarter of a point to $2.78 a gallon as, as usual. Good luck finding that at the pump. Uh, shiny metal rocks are doing well. Uh, gold is up almost a full point, nineteen sixty four and eighty cents. Uh, silver is up two point three two percent to twenty four eighty one twenty four dollars and eighty one cents. Platinum is up one point six. Copper is up almost a full point. Palladium dumping uh, half a point to the downside. Ag is fully mixed. The biggest winner today is going to be chocolate, three point one seven percent to the upside. Biggest loser is wheat. 2.23% to the downside. I got live cattle up 0.12%. Lean hogs down a half and feeder cattle is up 0.11% as well. Uh, indices got Dow up a half a point. S&P up over one. And NASDAQ is up damn near two points. And the S&P mini is just below 1% or one percentage point to the upside. Bitcoin chilling. Hanging in there at $27,446.26. Got uh, 0.46 BTC as the average transaction value. Median transaction value has bumped up to 122 bucks. Block times are low. Apparently, a bunch of miners are taking advantage of the uh, price swing here. Nine minutes and 32 seconds. Got 0.13 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 20.25 BTC Taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours, we indeed have an 11% jump in hash rate, 366.57 exahashes per second. Even Dogecoin is enjoying the rise of Bitcoin as he always does, 6.8 United States pennies. Shitcoins can't do anything without Bitcoin. That's why they all need to die. Market capitalization of Bitcoin is standing at $535.2 billion. That is 4.16% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase with your one Bitcoin, 14.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks. Speaking of Bitcoin, there are 19,470,605.5 Bitcoin in circulation. 4,625 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $127.2 million. We got 16,183 nodes that we can see sporting 67,897 payment channels. And I've got news about Rivers payment channels coming up in the second half of the show. Mempool is getting full. Across the globe, we're looking at over 150 blocks carrying almost half a million unconfirmed transactions. And yet, you can still do high priority transactions for a measly 16 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priorities are going to cost you 12 Satoshis per V-byte. And everything under 5.85 Satoshis is being purged from mempools around the world. And it looks like mempool.space mining is showing 444.3 exahashes per second for the hash rate. So that is quite a bit different than what we saw with what's going on over at uh, BitInfo charts. So pick one number and go with it. I am now, speaking of numbers, number 12 on the fountain charts, which is okay because I still have good friends like Fatoshi who sent me 12,012 sats and says, thanks for the show. You're my top one Bitcoin. Thank you, bro. 
Wartime Psycho with 11444 says the Grand Rapids Michigan Bitcoin meetup is here again. 6 p.m. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday at the factory, 77 Monroe, sixth floor elevator is locked soon. So if late, hit someone on the telegram and we'll let you up. BYOB and we'll go to the bar afterwards. Sats McDuck with 7,000 says, I think the fountain charts are broken. The March back to top LFG V4V. Permaculture underscore with 5,000 says, thanks for getting the word out about the applied permaculture class. Zap this man. Axelrod with 1451 says, another vital update from the trenches of Bitcoin Battlefront. The company Fortress is the same. Wait, the, the company Fortress is the same owner as Prime Trust? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Could you look deeper into the story of Prime Trust various mistakes that caused the company to collapse? That sounds like a good way to motivate everyone to self-custody their keys. Rip dad jokes. Your death will not be in vain. Aha! Apparently there seems to be a mistake with dad says jokes. Their account is back online. So I guess Musk uh, made a mistake. <laughs> you think? Uh, Gvart Beerborn with 250 says Argentina inching closer to their golden anniversary with IMF loans. How cute. Legend says once the 50-year mark is hit, the whole country can be expropriated and loaned to other countries that can't make ends meet to accelerate their demise. No shit, dude. Buys with 100. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Wouldn't it be funny if Grayscale beat BlackRock to the punch on getting a spot Bitcoin ETF? And then you'd have to ask yourself, how the hell does that even work? How the hell would, I mean, with all of Grayscale's problems, and believe me, Grayscale's got the whole digital currency group, DCG and Barry Silbert's outfit, that whole thing has problems. I wouldn't trust Barry Silbert or the rest of his gang to do anything, much less be able to get themselves out of the mess that they find themselves in with the Department of Justice and the SEC. Yet they've won this battle, this one battle with the SEC. And now I've seen on both CNBC and now Cointelegraph that there's a possibility. Breaking! Grayscale wins the SEC lawsuit. That's on Cointelegraph sidebar. On CNBC, it was like something like, um, I think it said, could Grayscale secure the first spot Bitcoin ETF because they won their lawsuit? And I'm like, oh God. So the rumors, here comes the rumors. Just be aware that the rumors are going to look like this. Grayscale is going to beat BlackRock to the punch. I don't think they will. You heard it here first. On Bitcoin and Iris Energy buys 248 NVIDIA GPUs worth $10 million for generative AI and Bitcoin mining. I think Gareth Jenkinson from Cointelegraph needs to rework that headline because that's patently wrong. I'll get into it, I promise. NASDAQ-listed Iris Energy has bought 248 state-of-the-art NVIDIA H100 GPUs for $10 million as it looks to explore opportunities in generative AI in addition to its core business, 
of Bitcoin mining. The firm expects to receive delivery of the GPUs in the coming months and plans to deploy the hardware to serve opportunities in cloud computing. Iris Energy co-founder and co-CEO Daniel Roberts said the company was looking to leverage its existing data centers into serving generative AI computing requirements. Quote, we believe demand for sustainable computing is unlikely to go away, and we feel we are uniquely positioned to capture ongoing growth in the broader industry, whether that be ASICs for Bitcoin mining or GPUs for generative AI, generative AI and beyond. Uh, I need to mark that for a second. Okay. Iris Energy operates in regions that have an abundance of renewable energy, including wind, solar, hydro, and has set up modular data centers nearby to the sources of low-cost excess renewable energy to be monetized for Bitcoin. According to the Iris Energy website, it has four data centers and mining facilities, including Canal Flats, McKinsey, Prince George, and Canada's uh, Canada. I said it. I said Canada. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. In Canada's British Columbia, as well as its Childress site in Texas, renewable powered Bitcoin mining operations continue to attract investment with Genesis Digital Assets Limited opening a new data center in Sweden. Meanwhile, Blockstream recently announced its intent to raise up to 50 million in an official investment note to purchase, store, and then sell BTC mining hardware ahead of Bitcoin's next halving event in 2024. GPU hardware manufacturer NVIDIA has also seen significant windfall from the rise of AI-powered tools and AI computing, with its total market cap eclipsing $1 trillion in May of 2023. All right. Uh, that's pretty much all you need to know. But think about it this way. You got Iris Energy that has heretofore been pretty much a Bitcoin mining company that focuses clearly on Bitcoin mining with ASICs, not GPUs. ASICs. You can't, you could mine Bitcoin on GPUs because that software exists, but it's going to be crushed by the efficiency of ASICs. Application-specific integrated circuits. That's why everybody uses ASICs to mine Bitcoin. Everybody did use to use GPUs to mine Bitcoin. And before that, and that was uh, the guy that bought pizzas, the Bitcoin pizza guy, uh, Lansix, I can't, I, Heinrichs, I can't pronounce his name at all. But everybody's like, oh, you spent 10,000 Bitcoin on pizza. You could have been so rich. He's rich. You don't have to worry about homeboy. All right, he's the one that actually created the algorithm that allows GPUs to start mining Bitcoin. And that pulled Bitcoin mining to the GPU market and from the CPU, because there used to be a time when Hal Finney first, or Hal Finney, Satoshi Nakamoto and Hal Finney were first mining Bitcoin. They were doing it on CPUs. And then it moved to GPUs and then it moved to ASICs. Nobody's using GPUs to mine Bitcoin any longer and haven't for a very, very long time. But think of it this way. Now we got Iris Energy who's dumping in to AI. They're going to have like 250 of these really large GPUs sitting in racks alongside Bitcoin ASIC miners. They're using hydroelectric power and renewable energy you know, sources. But I believe that Iris, and if not, it'll be somebody else, but let's say that Iris is part of the Texas 
a grid balancing system. Whereas if it gets really hot in Texas, they can shut down their GP or their shut down their Bitcoin miners and sell that electricity back to the grid. Now think of this. What if you've got half GPUs that are taking, you know, requests from people who want, I don't know, llama models or mid journey stuff done. And you have to spit and that uses a lot of electricity too. And then you've got Bitcoin miners, which are basically just spinning at the same rate all the time. Now, let's say that there's no load problems for the Texas grid, but a whole bunch of electricity is now required at one point to do a particular job with the, all these GPUs. They can shunt the electricity from B, from Bitcoin mining instead of having it go to Texas grid and get paid for that money or that electricity by the Texas grid or ERCOT, they just shunt that electricity over to the GPU stuff and make money doing generative AI stuff. And then if that demand falls down and they don't need that much electricity, they shunt it back over to Bitcoin mining. So now they have an internal switching mechanism and internal load load balancing mechanism, depending on are they getting more money mining Bitcoin, or are they getting more money spinning up all their GPUs at once because somebody wants to do, I don't know, album art for uh, some, I don't know, Taylor Swift's new album. Who knows? But you get my drift. Now, 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 Bitcoin miners are going to all start loading in GPUs into their rack space, which is going to cause a hurt on Bitcoin mining going further because we already have limited rack space. And then there's going to be the situation where, you know, we can make 10% more money if we're just doing this job over here on uh, AI. So shut down 20% of the Bitcoin miners, shunt the electricity over to the GPUs. And I'm not actually saying that this is bad. I'm saying, I, what I am saying is that it's going to be fascinating to see this start moving ahead in the future. So be prepared for that. Canaan, their quarter two mining revenue has jumped 43% on Q1, but, but, but their net loss climbs to 31%. Gareth Jenkinson, again, writing for Cointelegraph. Bitcoin mining company Canaan announced its unaudited, unaudited financial results for Q2 2023, showing growth in compute power sold and Bitcoin mining revenues while it tackled significant losses of $110 million, which was up 31% in the fir- from the first quarter. The NASDAQ-listed company outlined a variety of reasons influencing increased revenues and a significant headwind that included an inventory write-down and equipment impairment totaling $54 million. Canaan recorded $73.9 million in revenue in the second quarter of this year, up from $52.2 million quarter on quarter. This consisted of $57.9 million from product revenues and $15.9 million in Bitcoin mining revenue. Bitcoin mining revenues reflected 43.3% of growth compared to Q1s. $11.1 million with Canaan's Q2 2023 more than doubling the last year, $7.8 million in BTC mining revenue. The company attributed the surge to the recovery in Bitcoin prices and the consequent rise in Bitcoin rewards. Quote, 
The sequential increase was mainly driven by the Bitcoin price recovery and increased Bitcoin rewards across the network during the quarter. So that pretty much gives you the what's going on is that even though Canaan is completely kicking ass on their general revenue, not only are they having problems securing the net revenue from the general revenue, but they're actually losing more money this quarter than the last quarter. So Bitcoin mining is not out of the woods. And as I said yesterday, I expect, I expect unless we get another leg up on Bitcoin's price after today's, you know, GBTC news and their battle with the SEC, unless we get another leg up, you're going to start seeing major miners selling off some of their Bitcoin so that they can pay the bills. And that's going to put downward pressure on Bitcoin. The whole space is so fascinating. And I wish we had so much more time to get to it, but I'm going to have to end it with this one. Ben BitBoy Armstrong has been booted from the YouTube brand that he himself created. Pedro Salamano tells us about this piece of crap from Decrypt. BitBoy Crypto has parted ways with Ben Armstrong. The company today confirmed via Twitter that it removed the high-profile crypto influencer from the brand. Quote, Yesterday, BJ Investment Holdings, the parent company of Hit Network, took decisive legal action in removing Ben Armstrong from the company, BitBoy Crypto tweeted today. The company said its reasons were difficult and included serious and personal allegations against Armstrong that have not yet been confirmed by the influencer himself. According to its website, Hit Network is a creator-driven media network. It works with myriad brands to provide entertainment and education around cryptocurrency, entrepreneurship, gaming, music, and sports. BitBoy Crypto is not only one of the top brands under Hit Network's umbrella, but it's the most popular as per their official website. Hit Network CEO TJ Shedd made a statement about the dismissal on a YouTube live stream this morning. He added that the removal is also to help reconcile the emotional, physical, and financial damage Armstrong has done to the employees of Hit Network and the BitBoy crypto community. Armstrong didn't respond to comment. Yeah, no shit, dude. The BinCoin Twitter account today replied to the news in a post it claims was written by Armstrong, though it's yet unclear if the influencer indeed wrote the message. Quote, this is Ben T.J. Shedd and Justin Williams. Uh, well, hold on, hold on. This is Ben. T.J. Shedd and Justin Williams have attempted a coup at my company, the Ben Coin account tweeted. Quote, just confirming what is going around. It's true. There has been a mutiny at Bitcoin or BitBoy Crypto and Hit Network, but it won't work. They have no leverage. Until they can clone me, I have nothing to worry about, end quote. The news prompted a flurry of mixed reactions from the crypto community across various social media platforms. On the YouTube live stream this morning, many in the chat were unhappy with the company's removal of Armstrong. Many of the commentators requested or outright demanded the host return. Reddit also saw a stir with a post titled, End of an Era, Ben Armstrong. It was met, however, with cheering and enthusiasm by Redditors. Quote, what took so long? Asked one user. Armstrong is currently tied up in a class action lawsuit with several other celebrities for allegedly promoting now defunct crypto exchange FTX. 
After the suit was filed, the attorney representing the plaintiffs accused Armstrong of harassment, saying he made daily violent threats by phone and email. So they removed the asshole, but I'll bet you my ass that the asshole comes back with a vengeance because that's just the worst sort of people get rewarded the most in our culture. And, and Ben Armstrong is one of the worst sorts of people that there is. He does not care about you. He does not care about whether or not he takes your money. He doesn't care whether or not other people that he is associated with take your money. I've seen this before. I will see it again. It's sad to watch, but sadly it happens. Sadly it happens. And I'll just get into a couple of uh, a couple of things here. River Financial is going to reduce its lightning node capacity by about half, and they have reasons for doing that. There is a NIP24, a Nostra improvement proposal going around for private direct messages and small group chats. I'll try to get to that tomorrow. Uh, I think that that's all that I was going to cover, but we are running long and my voice is given out. So I'm going to go ahead, hit the dad joke, and we'll be out. Now, dad jokes. Dad says jokes is back on Twitter. I don't know what the hell happened. And dad says jokes account itself has not actually said anything about it. However, dad says jokes does have a joke. 90% of bald people still own a comb. They just can't part with it. I, I don't know. I, I cringed. And that's why I tell dad jokes. It's for the cringe. Not the laughs, but the cringe. If you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. It just is. You can do me Boostergrams. You can send me articles through Boostergrams. You can ask me questions through Boostergrams. You can just say cheers or thank you, sir. And I'll say no thank you, sir, back to you. Or you can stream me Satoshi's. And this all boils back, boils down and goes back to that article about the creator economy. We have no choice but to get out of the legacy creator economies, whether you're writing magazine articles or newspaper articles, whether you're shooting videos or recording podcasts, it doesn't matter. It all has to end as far as the monetary remuneration is concerned. I have for uh, years now wondered why people like Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal just won't put up a damn lightning network paywall. And it's because they are part of the machine that seeks to remain in control of the legacy financial system. And they will do everything in their power to make sure that they do not ever under any circumstances go to a different model of remuneration for their content. And because of that, they are going to die. And I am more than happy to put the stake in that heart. So if you'll help me get this show where it needs to go, you know, help help boost the show, not just through Boostergrams, but like when I put out, you know, the show announcements, make sure that you send that whole thing over to Twitter or YouTube, whatever it is you're at. If you're on TikTok, I don't care. I literally don't care. I'm not going to say anything bad about somebody putting my content out on TikTok. 
Yes, I get it. There's a lot of people that hate TikTok for various reasons. At this point, right now, I don't care. I I don't have time to care. Okay, so you do whatever it is that you want. But please, please, please help me promote the show. Because if you help me promote the show and I get more listeners, and these listeners help support me through this new monetary network, then that network will gain more momentum and other people will see people like me getting remunerated and it's not by fiat, it's not by PayPal, it's not on Stripe, it's not on anything else. It's simply by you or them giving me Satoshis, me custodying those Satoshis on my own Lightning Network node and being responsible for that remuneration without anybody in between. Go to Wavelake. I'm going to include uh, Ride and Progress's uh, URL link to the to Ride, the song that I played in today's show. Go give them a boost too. If we don't do this more and more, then we're going to have to deal with the fact that you can't read Financial Times or Wall Street Journal or whatever unless you take their URL and throw it over into archive.ph. And if you didn't know you could do that, yes, you can do that. That's how I read articles from Financial Times. I would rather just pay them in Satoshis. But since they're not going to accept Satoshis, I'm going to steal their fucking content until they learn how to act appropriately in the new world. Keep that in mind, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.